This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely jam! Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Lord Bohino! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. DPR could do with a bit of magic from him. Maybe this is it. It is! Andy Sinton from nothing. Brian Roy has headed for his into lead. Whelan. Oh, what a goal from Noel Whelan. No power on it whatsoever. But Taibi has made a horrendous error. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Only oh, hasn't. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And a man who, to my knowledge, has never died on Championship Manager and, in fact, once edited the database so that he could live forever like a Highlander, it's Michael Moore. <laughs> there can be only one. Hello. How are you? Good. Um, I'm, I'm going to broaden this straight back to 90s football. But um, when the Dominic Cummings story, I, I don't know if you've been reading it over the weekend, but um, did it remind you of Paul Merson's time at Middlesbrough, that journey? <laughs> <laughs> there was a great stat that someone had tweeted that Dominic's Cummings' journey to Durham was further than any away game Crew Alexander have played in their 100-plus year history. <laughs> great stat. Great stat. It's been, a real, it's been a real couple of amazing weeks for Crew Alexander revelations after our Dario G... Dario so Grady's gone, right? gone huge. You know, Dario Grady's been liking tweets that when people and listeners mention this, really, yeah, Dario Dario Grady's been liking tweets. Dario <laughs> Grady or Dario G? Sorry, I get him confused now. Dario G. <laughs> Dario G. I was going to say Dario Grady feels like someone who's unlikely to be on Twitter. <laughs> um, so Dario G's been liking tweets that are listeners. So what is annoying for me is I've been sitting. You know when um, you know when you've missed the lead when a journalist has missed the lead. I've been sitting on a scoop for three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if I'd said, "Did you know Erinsborough is an anagram of neighbours?" and you went, "What the fuck? This is the first time I've heard this in my life." That's how kind of normal. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first time I've heard That's that. That's genuinely the first time I've heard that. You, no, you knew that. You knew no. that. What? What? 
No, of course they didn't. <laughs> Erinsborough is an anagram of neighbours. Yeah, that's like the oldest fact from when we were kids. How well, you, you say that, but... <laughs> How much gold are you sitting on? Well, far more than I realised. <laughs> that's astonishing. No Did... way. I never knew that. Did you not? No, that's amazing. I bet we get hundreds of tweets now tomorrow. Yeah, yeah saying that you two are idiots. <laughs> Oh, believe that you didn't know that. Yeah, so Erinsborough is an anagram of neighbours. I'm just trying to think of an anagram to for Harold Bishop. I can't <laughs> think of one. Um, so Dario G is still a thing. So he's still on Twitter. I didn't realise this because I'm... I mean, I've re-embraced Twitter in the last 48 hours, but that's for other reasons. But um, Dario G, uh, he's on Twitter. Is he an active person? What kind of tweets is he sending well, out? Well, He's got 900 followers, so if you, you know, if you just want to give him a follow and see what he's up to, he's yeah, not got a blue tick. we should tick. all be following. I'm going to follow him now. He's not got a blue tick. <laughs> he's not got a blue tick. <laughs> uh, which is astonishing. you think he would. Definitely. It's definitely him. It's 100% legit. Oh, he follows me. I might drop him a DM. <laughs> should we, we get, get him on? in? <laughs> 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 we should do He'll have a good mic. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. If he's a crew fan, we've not yeah, covered crew. We, we see yeah. it. We just need a ten-minute chat with Dario G about crew because he did he did football songs, didn't he? He was involved in France '98 in some way, wasn't he? Yeah, he did the official song of the France '98 World Cup. Yeah, let's you're get thinking of Jean-Michel Jarre, are you? You know Jean-Michel Jarre's named after the manager of Port Vale, though. <laughs> <laughs> Could we ask Dario G for like get him on the show, but also maybe remix our theme tune? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Okay. Um, in the week, I'm going to slide into Dario G's DMs. So, uh, if you are listening to the show, Dario, I will be doing that. Oh, my God. If I get absolutely ignored by him, it's going to be absolutely <laughs> heartbreak. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's do some correspondence. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. So... Chris, you joked about it at the start, but our inbox has been full of people who've had football manager deaths. Shall I just take you through them? Uh, Luke Manning. Glad someone mentioned the death of a player on Championship Manager as my mate had a death on 0102 and he's been eating away at me as I've never heard it happening to anyone else. I was there with him when he received the news that one of his youth players, Kalam Muniarak, had tripped over a cone in training and died of his injuries. This can't be true. <laughs> oh, no. A load of nonsense. <laughs> As the years passed, I haven't asked him since in case it was a weird, vivid dream. There's no reason for me to remember Munirak and his nomadic lower league football career otherwise. He didn't receive an insurance payout for the death for what it's worth. I mean, that's more plausible than Nicholas and Elkar, because I feel like if it's a sort of unknown player or a regen, you could get away with doing it. But I don't think you can't kill off Nicholas and Elkar. I don't believe that happened. <laughs> tripping over a cone as well how big's this cone so what do you think has happened there do you think this has been misremembered i'm not i don't yeah. think yeah I, I think it's a fake memory i think I'm, i don't think they're misleading us i think it's something that becomes apocryphal and it's it's just not true chris cahill michael by the way we should have some kind of um, mournful music under these as well can we have the the music from cannon fodder when the um when they talk about <laughs> all the soldiers um <laughs> The topic uh, of the virtually deceased has formed a do I remember this right quandary for most of my life. And as an innocent nine-year-old playing Champ Man 93-94 on the Amiga 500, guiding Forrest to the Premier League promotion with Collymore and Collis leading the attack, I recall a shocking notification popping up stating, Ron Atkinson has died of a heart attack. Aston Villa are looking for a new manager. (laughs) 
this is that one. No way. On Chapman ninety three ninety four, the coding was not complex enough for someone to die. This no has haunted me for ten years, wondering whether it happened or it was some nightmarish imagination. For a friend at university told me his friend, a friend of his, claimed David Unsworth had died in his game. <laughs> This is not true. Yeah, it's always a friend of a friend who knows someone. Well, he, yeah. he's had so, so. All right, all right. Do you want more? I can give yep. you more. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm I'm going to message Miles. I'm going to yeah, send Miles I was a message. That. Yeah. He yeah. would know, surely. Stay tuned. Hopefully, he gets back to us before we record the tail end of this episode. What What a couple of things to tune in for. Who's going to reply? Miles Jacobson or Dario G? <laughs> Um, here's more evidence uh, from Ian Truman. He says, The correspondence in the last episode has restored my belief in my own faculties. I believe he may have the version of the game wrong, as I'm relatively certain mine occurred on or around CM0102. However, since that fateful day, whenever it was, I've been haunted by a memory that no one else believes and that I can't substantiate, despite every couple of years searching for proof on the internet for evidence that there must be others out there. I now know how UFO abductees must feel, minus the probing and violation. But I, too, have had a player die on Championship Manager. Phil Neville passed away on the virtual (laughs) operating table. No. And I, too, received a windfall from the insurance to reinvest in the squad. If I recall correctly, it was vastly more uh, than he was worth to me as a backup fullback. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't believe it. And he ends. He ends. Now that I know there are others out there, I implore the makers of the game to admit they've been keeping this secret for too long and that the truth must come out. The truth will set us free. I think it's a collective a collective false memory. Because <laughs> I've seen the inbox. There's so many of these emails, tens and tens and tens and tw- tweets as well. So many people think this happened to them. I, I can't believe it did. I'm really struggling. <laughs> okay. Um, there's one more Michael you sent a screen grab round of something that we think we were sent on Twitter it, I think it appears to be from CMO 102 and it's a screenshot of the, that kind of messaging kind of interface and it says are you sure you wish to send Jamie Redknapp to a faith healer he would be unavailable <laughs> for matches for a couple of days while attending sessions <laughs> that can't be what is going on has someone doctored that do you think you could be doctored but also that feels like the sort of thing that as a programmer you might have a bit of fun with yeah, well, when we interviewed Miles back in the day, he said that they considered doing aliens, didn't they? Yeah. Let's not rule it out. We will investigate. Now, on with Championship Manager, but let's put the dead players to bed to discuss this. On Championship Manager 97-98, so you're playing Championship Manager 97-98, aren't you, Michael? Yeah, I'm in the middle of a Champman 97-98 tournament run by the guys over at cm9798.wordpress.com. If any listeners uh, fancy some really great nostalgic Champman content, you should check out their blogs. I vaguely remember this being the case, but I don't know if you knew this. This is from Ollie Rouse. I can't believe this hasn't been mentioned yet. Now I'm starting to think I'm the only person that knows this tactic. In Championship Manager 97-98, you can play with no goalkeeper and have an extra player on the pitch. If you have a left-back with high tackling and strength stats, they act as a goalkeeper and also as a left-back. What? I know this sounds mad, but it's true. Please check this out. Wow. I've never heard that. That's from Ollie Rouse. (sighs) Oh, that feels like it could be a hack. Because there are often little things that you can do that are kind of match engine beaters, whether it's a formation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's like a cheat so much as a pro- like a, a thing where it would default and actually it helps you kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There was a version, I can't remember which one, where you could get your striker to mark the man mark the goalkeeper 
and he would score like a hundred goals a season. It was it was ridiculous. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm in the middle. Offside. I know look, it's, the coding was fairly simple back then. But I'm in the middle of this tournament, and I, and I lost. I lost my first game. I, I got picked to Sweden. I lost my first game three two, but only because I wasn't there. I didn't sign into the Zoom in time, oh, so oh, they yeah. they played a standard four four two. We've just played my second game against Ireland. I was two 0 down. Ended up winning five three in oh, the end. Yes, please. Oh, wow. So there's 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 a good chance I'll go through from the group stages. That feels like a manoeuvre that a I think my opposing players would strongly object to, but also <laughs> they would clock it. It could it could blow up horribly in my face as well. Yeah, it would be a scandal if you won that tournament without playing a goalkeeper. <laughs> Imagine, oh god me and chris would have to send out tweets backing you up saying that you're only protecting your young family i'd be doing the 5 p.m press conference <laughs> get the presentation out like trying to explain why it was actually a move of genius and not a glitch i'm actually here guys to talk about the Carlton Palmer episode i'm not here to discuss michael's tactics <laughs> Could you? Do you know on that version of Champ though? You don't see the opposition's uh, formation by default, do you? You've got to look at it. You've got to look. Yeah, you've got to check. You could sneak this under the radar. Well, it's it's being played on a kind of shared screen Uh, uh, type thing, so they would they would see it. Of course, they'd see you tinkering with your formation, (laughs) and their joy as they went into the game would swiftly, like, they'd be like, this guy is an absolute chance. He's forgotten to put a goalkeeper in. <laughs> I actually, that, that reminds me, when I played Championship 97-98, first time I became manager of England, I really got rid of the whole squad. I was like, right, I'm going to build this squad fresh. I th- can't think of it was like a bunch of qualifiers. And I picked the team, then got into the first game. And I remember it was Bulgaria away. Went to start picking my team with my 11, and I realised I hadn't selected any goalkeepers for the squad. <laughs> I started right back and left back to defenders. So I had, to, <laughs> I had two games to play. I can't remember who any goal. I think it was like Andy Sinton or someone went in goal. Still lasted longer than Sam Allardyce, though. That's the amazing thing as the England manager. I really weighted it towards the defence. I had like one up top. It was like it was a super tight, really kind of defensive formation. All the kind of the yeah, the tactics were just defend, defend, and try and get Nick one on the break. And I think we, I remember winning both of those games. Oh, that is brilliant. Um, it's like, do you remember when it's like that classic press conference when Stuart Pearce was the caretaker at Forest? They, they won their first game and he was like, oh, last night I picked my team. I showed it to my wife and she's like, oh, yeah, you haven't picked a goalie and he picked 11 outfield players. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a game where, am I remembering this right? Where Stuart Pearce played David James up front? Yeah, when he was Man City. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he did. I never understood that. I've actually tried to look into why he did that, but I've never understood why. There's an amazing clip compilation of his action in that game, and he is atrocious. Nearly gets sent off. It was a bizarre decision. Yeah, I don't. Man United used to play uh, Fabian Barthez up front in friendlies. Did they? Yeah, because if you just put Fabian Barthez striker into Google, you'll see pictures of him wearing a kit, like wearing the outfield kit, playing up front in friendlies. Because he always he was on to Ferguson that he really rated himself as a striker. This is one. I know we've done this with Peter Schmeichel. Was he good? <laughs> you've the World Cup. Fabian Barthez. Was he good? Because yeah. I don't remember him ever being good. I think he was one of those goalkeepers where he was a brilliant shot stopper, but he was 
very error prone. So right, yeah. he he would probably stop goals that another keeper would have conceded. Yeah, but yeah. in return, he would he was worth two or three goals a season that yeah. every other keeper would have saved. No great goalkeeper. You can never say they've got a ricket in them about any great goalkeeper. Like that's no. the one thing you've got to be able to do is be consistent. And for people like David James and Fabian Barthez, that you would be terrified often. Yeah, they're in goal for your team now. I know we've had a lot of controversy and a lot of doubt, but I, I, we do need to cover this as well. So this is from uh, an anonymous source who has got the audio of Alex Bruce denying that Steve Bruce wrote the books. Now, we've discussed this before, but when you listen to the audio, I think it's very convincing. Are you ready? Here I was with a gun close to me and I felt no fear. The situation was unreal. This was Laddersford on Saturday afternoon, not Chicago in the time of Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> God, I've got this image in my mind of you going to bed at night and your dad reading these novels. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that definitely didn't happen. I think he was manager of Huddersfield at the time and someone approached him and said, I wrote these books. Can we put your name to it? And uh, he can't take credit for writing anything. I've got to say, <laughs> when they said to me this afternoon, we found these books that Steve's written, I went, no, no chance, not no a chance. chance. And I'm glad you said that. Yeah. But what the good news is, you want to tell there you me, go. What do you think? Whoa, man. This is the first time I've thought that maybe he didn't write the book. <laughs> Michael? No, I'm still unmoved. Really? I, like, I understand why he said that, but also I'm presuming that's the interview that he backtracked from a day or so later. Yes, it is the interview he backtracked so, from a day yeah, or so later. Yeah, then, then no. Steve Bruce still wrote those books. Okay, we will draw a line under it. I guess we will never know. Although um, I can't remember the name, but I did see someone who said that their friend... Uh, Steve Bruce came to the school to give out copies of Striker. Whoa, okay. Now now I'm interested. <laughs> Imagine if it made the curriculum. Get rid of Lord of the Flies. <laughs> what does Sir Lawrence represent? <laughs> it's the cap- capitalism. Write <laughs> cap- your dissertation on this. <laughs> um... Thank you so much for your emails. We get so many good ones. Uh, we we do read all of them and we will get to as many as we can. But uh, this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. All right, coming up next. When I think of 90s football, I think of probably Graham Taylor and that documentary, and I think about Carlton Palmer in midfield wearing an England shirt with a big three lines crest and the little tiny crest in the collar. And then I think about him playing for Leeds. He is, for me, the archetypal 90s footballer. And here he is. This is Carlton Palmer. Our guest this week hit the big time as a central cog in the Sheffield Wednesday machine, which regularly found itself at the top of the top flight in the early 90s. He made 18 appearances for England and delivered throughout the 90s as one of the Premier League's best box-to-box midfielders. It's our huge pleasure to welcome to Quitley Kevin, England's own Carlton Palmer. Thank you. Great to be here. Happy with that intro? Yeah, great. I'm always fascinated by like retired footballers. You, you tend to stay where you had the best time in your career. Obviously, Steve Ball lives in Wolverhampton. That's not yeah. a big surprise. But you still based around the kind of Sheffield region. I know actually you work in Shanghai now, but yeah, I did have the best time at, at Sheffield Wednesday. But honestly, it is just a fabulous place to live. Where Lucy and I live, we're about 15 minutes into Derbyshire. 
So it's great for running, going out that way, great country pubs. It's just a lovely place to live. But Sheffield's just got a nice feel about it. When I, For the first time I went there, I mean, I've been there now, what, I'm 54, so I've been there over 30 years. And it's just it's just got a nice feel about it. Yeah. We're fascinated this series with, like, learning about professional footballers, how good you were at school. How good were you, like, growing up? Were you just way better than everyone else? No, not really. I wasn't. I mean, football was something that I had to work at. I was I was fitter. I was by a million miles. I mean, I I had unbelievable levels of fitness. But in terms of ability, I, I, no, I wouldn't say that. I think there were a lot of players who had more ability than me. But, you know, in life, to be successful, it takes more than just having ability. And to be the best... You can have ability, and if you don't work hard and apply yourself, then you don't achieve what what you're supposed to achieve. So let's rewind the clock right back to the start of your career. So you start with West Brom in the eighties, and the West Brom are kind of in the second tier. Then, how was that? How was that as an education into the world of football? Joining West Brom. Well, it was it was hard. It was really hard because I d- I joined on a, a YTS. They just brought out that YTS scheme, and the coach at the time there, a guy called Ken Hodgkinson, he didn't really fancy me at all. So I was well down the pecking order. Uh, Did you but, always play in the way you play? We always like a kind of central midfielder. No, I actually started off as a centre back. That's my position. That yeah. is my position. I only ended up playing in midfield because Ron said I had too much energy. But my <laughs> but my my actual position is a defender. Yeah. So this is the way circumstances happen. Johnny Giles got the sack and Ron Atkinson come in and he brought uh, Nobby Styles in, who, who was the youth team manager. And from the first day Nobby came to the football club, he just took a shine to me. So he used to take me out uh, for training sessions in the afternoon, in the gym talked to me about, you know, being long and gainly. He said I was short and everybody thought that I didn't look like a footballer. And he, and he just w- used to work at things with me, shortening my stride in tyres, uh, skipping in the gymnasium. And then he just said, he told Ron that he, he thought I would be a player. So Ron extended my contract for, I think, about three or four months. And uh, Jimmy Nickel was injured coming back from Ireland and Ron pulled me in on the Friday and said they were playing Birmingham. Oh. Basically, I hadn't played an handful of reserve games, never mind youth team games. And he said, would you, bo- would you bottle it if I put you on on Saturday? And you, of course, you're, not, you're going to front it up, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd go, I'm going to bottle that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, and that was it. I, I played on the, on the Saturday, got man of the match, and, and, and the rest is history. That's <laughs> so how, you were that's straight how quickly, into West Midlands yeah, Derby as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's how quickly things changed for me. Man. You know, somebody believing in you, somebody seeing something in you, and then and then Ron Atkinson is always... I don't know what it is. We, we eat it off from day one. I, he, he, I don't know whether, you know, I'm a cheeky chappy, I'm a happy... <laughs> I'm a very positive person, and Ron likes positive people around him. I, I You know, if, I, if we're 4-0 down, I, you know, with five minutes to go, I think we'll win 5-4. That's the type of person <laughs> I am. You know, I very rarely get down, and I, I don't look at negative things, and I can't have those people around me. And Ron's similar to that. Was Ron the character, like, when you worked with him, was he seemed like he had such a kind of huge character about him from afar. Was it like that to work with him day to day? Yeah, he was brilliant. He, he was absolutely brilliant. He loved football. He loved... The thing about Ron is he, he understood that supporters paid money to come and watch the team play. So he wanted his teams to entertain. We never got bollocking for, for getting beat. We got bollocking for not trying to play not trying yeah. to entertain. 
Um, and he's larger than life. He's he's he's, he's a great bloke. Um, was he larger than life in those West Brom days? Had he evolved into the kind of Ron Atkinson character? No, I think that that was just him. Since I knew him since I was a kid, I've never known him any different. I've never known him any different. And so it was very difficult for me when all the racist things came about because, you know, he ain't got a racist bone in his body. He's just, he's just old school, Ron. I mean... Yes, he made a racist comment and and he's might off school, but he didn't mean it like that. And and my parents, my 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 dad, mum and dad come over from Jamaica in the late fifties. They've known Ron all my adult life, and they'll tell you he's he's not a racist. You know when somebody's been a racist, and Ron's not a racist. Um, but it really affected him because people who he'd who he'd helped out, people who he'd looked after, and genuinely had looked after, all looked after themselves, which is what people do. But it's sad, you know, because. You know, at the end of the day, if you know somebody not to be that way, like Dwight York should, like Fashion you should, like other players who he's, he's looked after, you should you should stand up, even if it means you get some criticism. That's just the way it is. You should speak as you as you as you find. Yeah, yeah. and he yeah. must have liked you, didn't he, Ron? Because he, he signed you again and again and again. I think was it three times he signed you. Three times, and then I should have signed for Aston Villa. I'd agreed to go to Aston Villa from Sheffield Wednesday. The deal was done. But Ron went off to the World Cup. I had a phone call from my agent saying that Howard Wilkinson wanted to speak to me from Leeds United. They'd put uh, the second highest bid. I think Alan Shearer went for 3.2 million. They put in a bid of 2.9 million for me. And my agent at the time said to me, you know, listen, you, you've got to do him the courtesy of at least going to speak to him. And um, I said, but but I've agreed with Ron, the, the deal's done. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, he's right, at least go and speak to Howard. And then I went to speak to Howard and, and I just felt that my kids were in school in Sheffield. I lived in Sheffield. I could commute. I didn't have to move. I liked what Howard was saying. I liked, it, Howard was a different type of guy and I felt that it was time for me to try something else. And um, I don't work for football clubs. I work for people. I don't in life. I don't work or choose to work, uh, and I'm in a fortunate position. But I choose to work for the people I want to work for. So when I signed for football clubs, when I went, if I didn't like the manager, I wouldn't sign them, irrespective of the club. So I really got on with Howard, and he's another. He ended up being my next door neighbour. But um, we, how was that living next to the manager? Yeah, kick any balls over his garden? <laughs> no, we got big garden, mate. <laughs> 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 How was it living next? Did you see him much? Did you go into training together? No, never, never. But I got on really well. I still do. I still get on really well with Howard. He's, and funny enough, it's strange to say this, that Howard and Ron are very, very similar. Very yeah? similar. Yes, they like their, they like to dress smart. They're always immaculate. But Howard's the side of, right, Howard, you won't get in to know Howard unless you get in his magic circle. Right. That's locked off. That's locked off to everybody unless you're in his magic circle. And and but if you got if you get in his magic circle, he's fun. He like you know he likes to wear his club and he likes to have a banter the same as Ron. Ron's just flamboyant and out there. Yeah. So something I think Tony Dorigo told us this that Howard Wilkinson liked to play a game of like imaginary golf where he would go right. You're on the tee now. Where you where you're driving and you've got to explain. I hit it 200 yards just on the fairway just near the rough. Did you ever that happen? I have no, I, he's never done that with me. <laughs> he's never done that with me. But he's very he's very well. He's a, he's a former school teacher. So he's very analytical in everything he does. He's very knowledgeable in in the game of football. And whenever he says anything to you, and this is why I have a lot of respect for him, whenever he says anything to you, it's not just said, it's backed up. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. when I went there, I didn't want to mark Zonal. I've never marked Zonal uh, in my career. And I'd said to him when, when we the first game, and I said, you know, Gaffer, I, I, I'm not comfortable with allowing Tony Adams to have a run on me. And the lads were going, oh, Carlton, for fuck's sake, now we're going <laughs> to we're gonna be out all day doing set pieces morning <laughs> and afternoon. But he did. But what he did is, is he, he, he doesn't just say things, he backed it up. And we never conceded a lot of goals from set pieces because we, everybody understood what their job was within that. And to mark Zonal, you have to have good headers of the ball. And we did have good headers of the ball. So it actually worked for us. Did you ever... Because you feel, I feel from you, you're, you don't mind standing up to a manager. You don't. Did you ever worry about like standing up for yourself and in those situations with Howard Wilkinson? Because there'd be no. players that wouldn't want to. No, never at all. That's the problem with today's game. Now, I think players are too comfortable. Not all players, but I think a lot of players are comfortable in the game because they earn too much money. They're not prepared to challenge the manager, which you should challenge the manager. If you don't agree on something, you should you should say something. You should be prepared to challenge other players if they're not doing it. And they should be able to take that in the right way, not taking it personal. We get paid a lot of money, and especially now in this day and age. The game's gone a long way from the ordinary man in the street now. It's expensive to take your two kids. So at least the worst they should expect is you're giving 110%. So if players aren't doing that, I think other players should get on to other players. You don't see enough of it in today's game. You just don't see it. Um, would you have big? Would you be happy to after a game in dressing rooms of their big set two rows and stuff? We used to have set twos before the games, half time, and after the games, <laughs> and, some, and, some, and sometimes in the pub afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, we, we did. What, would it to... actually kick off? Would it be fist oh, thrown? Yeah. Well, well, I wouldn't say it. Not, not fist, but, but heated, heated arguments. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday were going through a mad, bad run, and Viv and Danny called a meeting at Anrans. And, and the meeting got very heated because we, we said at the time Trevor Francis couldn't control our dressing room because he couldn't deal with the big characters in there. So we, we decided that we'd had to sort it out for ourselves. And, and there were words exchanged. Players were told. Who, who was doing it, who wasn't doing it, and what we had to do and whatever. And that, and a lot of it, at the end of the day, trust me, a lot of it comes back down to the players. Yeah. You know, you can have the manager, but you, a lot of it comes back down to the players because the players now get the managers the sack. Yeah. That's as simple as it is. They get them the sack. If they down tools, they get them the sack. You sign a player now, you, you sign him on X amount of pounds, he's not happy, he downs tools. Well, you, you can't just get him out because... It's not as simple as that. And he won't leave. So what's easier to do? Get rid of seven or eight players or get rid of the manager. Yeah. And that's what happens. Speaking of, like, fighting, where if it kicked off in the tunnel, where would you be? Would you be right down the front slinging, slinging the fists or would you kind of wait back? Well, I, I always come out last anyhow, so... <laughs> <laughs> But again, but we get involved. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but, but I always come out last, didn't you? Yeah, so. I found that so that you would come out of the tunnel last, and you played. Unless I was skipper, and it, but you also played with Paul Ince, who had the same superstition, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, we did. We so used how to. How did that work? Yeah, well, well, well. To be fair, when we were at England, so although I prefer to come out last, you know, Ince was in the England team before me, so there is a, an hierarchy, if you like. So I was happy to to let Ince come out last, and I come in second last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that wasn't a problem. Let's go back to the start then. You're at West Brom. You, you then get you move to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. How do you find out that that move's going to happen? Like, how did, did they come to you and they say you're moving, or do you have a say in this? Or yeah, well, it, it was kind of a bit of a shock, really. You know, everything was going great at West Brom, and then I got phone call. 
uh, I think it was on the Sunday to say I got a report to the ground on the Monday. So I'm thinking, fucking hell, what have I been up to? You know, this, that and the other. And then reported on the Monday. But as I get to the ground, uh, Bugsy Burroughs was there and so was Steve Butt. And they told us, oh, the club's skint. So they're selling us. So Bugsy went in first. He said he was off to Liverpool. Steve Ball come out and said he was off to Wolves. And then they called me in and they said, oh, these are, these are your options. So I had a long chat with Ken Bates, but I've never been, I'll be honest with you, and it, this is the most hypocritical thing I can say to you, is that I've never been a fan of London. I like coming into London for a weekend, yeah. have a night out, go and see a show. But to come and live in London, it never appealed to me. But yeah. now I live in Shanghai, 23 million people, and live in an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so, what so, was Ken Bates like to meet with? Well, I mean, I, well, I never met him. I mean, I mean, I know Ken as he happens, anyhow. But, um, but um, you know, we spoke on the phone. He told me what he was going to do and this, that, and the other. But then Nobby came in to see me, and he says, "What are you thinking of doing?" And I said, "I don't really know." I said, "London's not really for me." He said, "Well, don't even think about it." He said, "Get up the road, go with Sheffield Wednesday, where Ron Atkinson is." He said, "I know they're going to get relegated." He said, "But you know, the big man will sort that out." And that's what I did, and I, I had nine fantastic years there. Really, I mean, not just football in my personal life. Um, it was just, it was just a fantastic time. It was a great Sheffield Wednesday team that got together there. Fantastic, great team, personalities. You know, every everything about the team gelled. It was just fantastic. It was a fun team to be a part of. Yeah. Really was both off and on the pitch. And I guess it like, so you join, what was it, in February 1989, 1991, you get to the League Cup final, but you miss it yeah. through suspension. And yeah. is it right that Ron Atkinson said to you before the game, you need to have your game of your life today? And yeah, it's like well, you weren't well, even playing. Yeah, what happened was um, we were going, to, we were looking to get promoted that season. So I, I wasn't even thinking about the cup final when we were playing Portsmouth away. I, was, I wasn't thinking the cup finals in two weeks' time. I was just thinking it's a league game. We need to win. That's it. So, you know, we were losing 1-0 and it was a reckless challenge. It really was a reckless challenge. I mean, I had no complaints about <laughs> getting a red card, you know what I mean? It was just frustration about yeah. the game, really. And then I walked in and Ron came in, he was going ballistic. Do you know what you fucking done? You're going to miss the cup final and this, that and the other. And I went, oh, no. So we went down, Ron and I went down to see the FA because I, I honestly believe that for big games, cup finals, that you only get sometimes great players go through their whole lifetime without playing in a major yeah. cup final. I think unless you're in really serious trouble, I think you should be allowed to play in the cup final. That's my personal opinion. But the FA turned down uh, Ron's request and my request to play. So that was what it is. So, what was cup final day like then? Did you go down with the Yeah, team no, and... I went down. Ron called me in about, I think it was about five days before, and said to me, I need you to play the best game you've ever played. And I said to him, Ron, I ain't fucking playing. <laughs> so he said to me, no. He said, listen, the lads are gutted you're not playing. He said, I'm gutted you're not playing. But he said, if you're down and moping around and whatever, then it's going to affect the old mood. He said, you need to be you, right? And he said, the, the boys will take care of the rest for you. And he said, don't worry, you'll get, you'll play many more cup finals. You'll go back and play at Wembley many more times in the future. But he said, you need to be like that with the lads. And the lads, the lads made it easy for me. I mean, I was obviously gutted. Uh, to not be playing, but the, the lads made it uh, easy for me because they, they were a great set of lads. And I was genuinely pleased when they won. I was pleased for them. I was pleased for the club. 
I mean, obviously, I got a medal because I played in every round. It didn't feel the same because yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't play there, and I have got a winners' medals. But I did play, I did play in every round. So it it was sad from a personal point yeah. of view, but for everybody else, for the boys, for the club, for the fans. That I mean, the fans gave me an unbelievable reception when I walked out on the pitch. You know, I'll never forget that. So you know, I was, yeah, at the end of the day, these these things happen, don't they? On the subject of suspensions, you nearly got a suspension where you escaped drug suspension. Is this right? You used to smoke marijuana between the games. No, no, I never used to smoke as a regular regular occurrence. But, I mean, this one Thursday I had had a, a, a spliff... And uh, I mean, it's not a performance dancing drug. It's not like, you know, <laughs> but 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 I had been drug tested two weeks on the trot, so I thought it was an impossibility that yeah. I would get drug tested at Crystal Palace again. And they picked me again to get drug tested. So uh, when, when would that have been after the game? Yeah, after the game. Yeah. So they picked me again. Uh, you must. I mean that. Well, it's forty-eight. It's forty-eight hours to come out of your system. I mean, as I say, it's a social drug. If anything, it, it's not going to in, in, yeah. enhance your performance in any way. In other no. words, you know. So, but it still would have been a problem. Um, yes. Yeah, so we averted that situation. <laughs> How did you avert that situation? <laughs> there was some pee in a jug, but yeah. it wasn't necessarily your pee. Correct. <laughs> Um, and speaking of like pre-match ritual, I mean, marijuana is not going to enhance your your performance in a match. But is it right that part of your pre-match ritual would be to have a shot of brandy before? Yeah, I always used to have. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday they used to they used to get it ready for me. Uh, Bob Garrell and the girls in the sponsors lounge. And as I come out the tunnel, I used to go into the sponsors lounge. They'd have it on the side for me. Have a shot of brandy, and I used to say to them, "I'll see you in a back in an hour and after click the man of the match award." <laughs> <laughs> generally I was <laughs> and, but, how did that start no I used to get really nervous before games and um, you know my old man said to me once he said well just have a shot of brandy to calm your nerves and so I tried it and it, and it, and it worked it just gives you a rush yeah it just calms your nerves and then I just ran on the pitch. Did you recommend it to any other players? No, but Ince used to do it. When I, like, funny enough, when I used to line up with England, Ince used to have his miniature bells bang before the. Oh, the whole little mini bottles. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. used to have his miniature. <laughs> Did people I, know you were doing it even on England duty? Well, it wasn't something. I mean, they knew at Sheffield Wednesday, obviously, because I went yeah. in the sponsors' lane. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think a lot of things like now. I'll be honest with you, a lot of things have become too much like borne out by the media. Right. I mean, on a, on, a, on a Friday night, I always used to go in my local pub and have a couple of pints of Guinness. Ron used to know that whenever I played, Howard Wilkinson used to know whenever I played, I always have a couple of drinks the night before the game. And I listen, if you are fit, right, and I mean, if you've trained like I have and I train really hard, on a Friday I would train in the morning, I'd sleep in the afternoon, you know, I'd go and have a couple of pints of Guinness, get to bed. That ain't, they, if I don't play well the next day, it isn't because of two pints of Guinness. Yeah. But yeah. but it's people's perception. I actually put more likely to play well because of the two points. <laughs> Howard Wilkinson didn't understand it, did he? He, cut, he tried to make you cut yeah, down. No, no. Well, no. I, I, what Howard said to me when he signed me for Leeds, he said to me, "Listen, I'm signing you, so I'm not saying it's an issue, right?" But he said, "I've heard about your drinking." Which don't get me wrong, I'm not kidding anybody. I like a drink, but you cannot have played. 
the amount of games I played and played three games a week. I mean, if you look at my record at the football clubs, up until I decided to retire, I didn't retire because I had to, I retired because I wanted to, I played a lot of football matches. <laughs> and you can't play to that level and that standard. So yeah. it's like my wife said to me, she said, well, I always used to see you out drinking. I said, well, how's that work then? Because if you always used to see me out drinking, that means you were out. <laughs> and you're a school teacher. Do you know what I mean? So it's people's perceptions because somebody sees you out on a Wednesday night and they go, oh, well, I've seen Carlton Palmer out drinking. Well, we've just played on a Wednesday night. We've got Thursday off. So what's the problem with me going out and having a drink? If we played on a Saturday and we've got Sunday off, what's the problem with me going out and drink? To be fair, Sundays, I like to drink on a Sunday. I used to take my kids uh, horse riding and swimming. I have a few scoops in the afternoon. And that was me. I'd get back to work on Monday. That's the, you know, that was the way I, I worked. And I don't see that being an issue, really. And in today's game, you can't even fart now without them <laughs> getting on you. But you, you tell me now today in the game, name me a character today. There's no Gordon Strachans. There's yep. no Cantonars. There's no characters in the game. I don't see one person I would call in the Premier League a character because they're not allowed to be. Well, that's why we've got this podcast, Carl. Yeah. All the characters are on here. That's where exactly. they are now. Exactly. All retired. <laughs> <laughs> did you go out? Did you drink with the other teammates? Yeah, who were you, like, t- you, you drinking? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, listen, I never, I, I never, and even now, you ask my missus, I never ring people up and say, right, I'm going for a drink or whatever. I drink in a certain certain place, people know where I drink. If they want to come and join me, they come and join me. That's down to them. Yeah. So This is before the days of mobile phones, right? You just have to turn... But even, but even now, my missus says to me, I'm not a mobile phone person. I'm not really into it. Like, So if I've said to you, I'm, I'm old school, if I say to you, I'm going to meet you at 7 o'clock in the rising sun, I don't need to take my phone. I said, we've said 7 o'clock in the rising sun. I will be there for 7 o'clock. That's it. <laughs> And I can't get my head around. I don't. I, I really can't. And I find it really difficult. Like so, if we, if me, if we've made an arrangement to meet at seven o'clock, and you were to call me at quarter seven, a, I'd have already fucking gone, and, I'd <laughs> left, and, and I would left my phone. But I couldn't understand why you would change the arrangement. Yeah. If yeah. we've already made, you know, like if we, like I said to Lucy, if, if we've made arrangements to go out with dinner with people at a certain place, and they've said they want to change to go some, well, I like fuck them, let them go there then. <laughs> we go with. That cuts through as well from your attitude as a footballer. This is like, I think it should be done this right way. You know. Yeah. When you like calling out other players as well. You don't take any shit. No, but I don't in life. It's black and white. It's it's simple. It, listen, anybody can, can say whatever they want to say, and I hear this word, lucky. And all the people who are successful in life, they're lucky. No, all the people who are successful in life work damn hard. So what comes with that is that bit of luck. So yeah. you get that bit of luck coming your way because you are prepared to do the things that other people aren't prepared to do. And that's the difference. If you see successful people... Like, when I went to Leeds United, that opened my eyes. Gordon Strachan, still playing at 40. Gary McAllister. Eric Cantona. They were all in training an hour before everybody started. Yeah. You know, warming up, practising their drills, doing whatever. Mark Bright, training's finished, bag of balls. He'd be somebody crossing the ball, he'd be shooting and whatever. So when the people say they're lucky, don't I'm not saying we don't get luck, but it's amazing. All these people who are successful get their luck because they're prepared to go and do further than anybody else. That's a fact. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no way about it. Because you hear this, like, you hear it about Cantona and then Beckham was certainly always practising yeah. cricket. Yeah. And it does make you wonder, why aren't more footballers... You know, st- they can see that the top players are staying out there. They're training. More. I went. I went to Aston Villa once, 
Martin O'Neill was manager, right? And we were talking about something, and Martin O'Neill said to me, he'd given the players off the afternoon. He said, name the two players who'll be outside at the back. And I couldn't think, I couldn't think of the two players. And, uh, and we walked round the back, and the two players that were out the back was Brad Friedel, what age did he play to? Yeah. And Ashley Young, who then got his move to Manchester yeah. United. So there's no coincidence. Look at Ronaldo, you know, still going at the age he is, scoring goals, and people think, oh, well, it's luck. It's not luck. <laughs> it's not luck. So I'm not saying that everybody gets the same opportunity. Yeah. But at whatever level you are, and I've always said this to my kids, right, if you put the work in, right, you will get your due at whatever level it's supposed to be. There's a bit of a theme this series of players who are application, who really try hard, and there's some who just have, like, unnatural ability. Yeah. Like Matt Letizio, who you played with as uh, Southampton. Yeah. I think yeah. you seem to have very different kind of, like, modes of uh, opera, operandi. Like, he he wouldn't train as much as you would train, presumably. Like, how did how, yeah, did, you, but, how did you cope but, with that? But, 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 but then, no, Matt Letizio is uh, a talented footballer. And I've said this, and, and sometimes it's taken out of context, but I say it in truth, right? I've finished my career, and I've done, without shadow of doubt, the best. I have no regrets. Surely Matt has regrets, because I don't think he fulfilled his potential. And I'm not saying because he stayed at Southampton, because it's he, he was a one-club player, right? But if you look at the players who have left Southampton to go on, Alan Shearer, Gath Bale, to name two, who have gone on. So only Matt really knows yeah. whether he achieved his full potential as a player. I don't believe he did because I seen him when I went there when he wasn't fit and then got fit and then nearly got back in the England side. And I thought, well, he should have gone on to a bigger stage than Test. But, but to do that, that puts you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So when I went to Leeds United, I wasn't guaranteed playing. I could have stayed at Sheffield Wednesday, guaranteed to playing every week. But I've got David Batty, I've got Gary McAllister. You know, they just won the league title. I wasn't guaranteed to playing. But you've yeah. got to take yourself out of that and then back yourself to improve. And the prime example of that in today's game is Jordan Henderson. He went to Liverpool, he went for big money. For me, no, nothing more than a bang average midfield player. But he went to Liverpool. I think Brendan Rodgers tried to offload him in a loan deal back to Fulham. He turned it down. He's grafted and grafted and grafted and turned himself into the player that he has become today, which is an exceptional midfield player. Yeah. And, that's, and that's having the balls to say, no, I can be better than this and I can work at it and I can improve and I want to challenge myself to do that. And, and he's, he's the prime example in modern day. His transformation of him as a player is tenfold. Yeah. When you were young and you were starting out and you were at West Brom, did you think in your mind, because you obviously feel very driven, you think, did you think, I'm going to play for England? At no, no chance, no chance. Listen, to have played for West Brom was a dream come true. The club yeah. I supported uh, as a kid, being on the terraces and whatever, becoming a footballer was a dream come true. Everything was a bonus for me. This is the difference. I'm under no illusion about my ability and what I was capable of and what I wasn't. And that's the difference between me and other players. I knew what my game was about and I knew what I was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. I can stop good players from playing. That, yeah. that was never an issue to me because my fitness was that good 
that I could stop good players from playing. And I played alongside good players who could deal with the football, yeah. right? How far that would take me, I didn't know. But I used to come in every day, work as hard as I could. I used to come in every match day, give it 100%, yeah. you know? And, and and I was lucky enough to have the career that, that I was able to have. Do you think... So I think playing with you, like speaking to you now, it must have upped the game of the rest. Like the team must have... Well, it's a problem if you were in the dressing room with me. It was a, <laughs> but it's a problem yeah. because I, I, you know, it, look, put it this way: if Lucy and I play Scrabble now in China, there's murder on. We have to, we have to <laughs> ring. It's so competitive. Oh, we have to ring her mother back, get the Oxford edition, and my, <laughs> and my, and my wife's in a teacher. <laughs> but it's murder on because I, I want to win. I yeah. want to win. And I think that's why managers kept re-signing you, because they liked, you, they liked the fact you were a leader in the dressing room and someone you could rely, rely on. Well, certainly when Dave Jones signed me at Southampton, I think they were seven points adrift at the bottom of the league. There were players there, like Matt, who were comfortable, and he needed them shaking up. And that's what, that was what I was brought in to do. Did you have a plan to go in and shake it up in that situation? No, no not shake... Well, I, I, knew, I knew I know what I have to do to get players, other players going, and I know what we have to do to win football matches. Michael Jordan's father said to him once, it, it was the NBA uh, finals, and he was coming in, I think it, it was a break at half-time, he was coming in, and his dad grabbed him, and he was moaning at everybody, he was moaning at the referee, he was moaning at the rest of the players, and his dad turned around to him and said, listen, son, you're the best player on the team, lead, and the rest would follow, right? I wasn't the best player on the team, but I knew that what I could could affect other players in my yeah. team. So that's what I had to do and get around people in a positive way, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's what I tried to do. I, I can honestly say I, I have never... I've had fallouts within training and within managers, you know, and teammates within the context of the game. But generally, throughout my career, I've got on with everybody. Yeah. I just want to win. So let's, talking of wanting to win, the, what must have been a really tough season then was 1993 Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Two cup finals. Yeah. League Cup. Both and against Arsenal. Both yeah, against no, Arsenal. And we beat Arsenal in the league that, as well that season. So, uh, you know, it was a difficult one. I think what, what we, we all knew that whoever won the first game would have psychological advantage. Actually, we won the, the last league game against them going into the final. So we fancied our chances of actually doing what Arsenal did in winning the two. In the first game, in all fairness, there was, there was nothing much in the game, but Arsenal deserved to win. Uh, and it was a problem for us because we picked up injuries and instead of me, and, and I think it worked in Arsenal's favour because Arsenal had a few injury problems, but that I had to go and play at centre-back. So we lost that energy in the middle of the park. Yeah. Unfortunately, I actually made the mistake for the goal. But we didn't deserve to win that game. In the FA Cup, we battered Arsenal. I mean, on, on, the, on the Saturday, before it went to a replay, should never have gone to a replay. You know, the chances we missed, chance after chance. And, and then we, we went to the replay on the Thursday night. It was, we had chances. We were the better side again. And, and unfortunately, with seconds to go to, to penalties, uh, Boldy scores, uh, Edo with Woodsy should maybe tip it over, but yeah, things happen and... It wasn't to be, but, you know, it was disappointing for us. We should have at least got away with one of those trophies. So whilst it was disappointing to go to Wembley in two yeah. major cup finals, and I think we finished, what, fifth or sixth in the league. Have you kept your runners-up medal? Are you someone who can look back on that fondly? Or are you, your I competitive instinct makes you feel like... 
Well, do you know what? It's 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 interesting because I've been so busy since I've finished playing football. I haven't really looked at anything. Really? So no, was it all in your loft? Uh, no, no. It's 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 you know. Funny enough, we've just because we've now just bought this new house, we've started taking a few bits out. Um, but I, I haven't really, in all honesty, you know, looked back and sat down at, at my career. I haven't, because I just haven't had the time. I've always been on the go with yeah. something else. And I look forward to doing that in, in years to come. I really do. Have you got all your England caps as well? Yes. Yes, I've kept everything. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I kept everything. Let's talk about your England career a little bit. So you made your debut away to what the Soviet Union, essentially, in Moscow. Yeah. How was that as an experience? Well, the, the thing was how, how it all came about. So I got a phone call from... Graham Taylor on a Sunday um, saying that he was going to pick me but we've got the Sheffield United derby coming up the following week after the the Russia game so that was the semi-final at Wembley so Trevor Francis had pulled me and said unfortunately I can't play so there was a big row over that because because I said to him I said like you know it's different if I wasn't going to play but Graham Taylor had, had confirmed that I was going to play and so do you think I've got to push this through? With yeah, yeah, no, no, there's no way I'm not going. I'm going to play. So we ended up having a row, um, but then I decided to approach it a different way by yeah. saying, like, you know, to him, well, listen, Trevor, what would you do if it was the other way around? If it was you, you played for your country. In the end, he agreed. And so, obviously, off I went to play, had a good game, we drew 2-2, ended up getting injured. Oh, Split my toe open. <gasps> Oy. Yeah, so there's no way I can play the following week. Absolutely no way. So it was, um, it, it, it was ended up being a, a nightmare. Actually, when I came out, you see me come out uh, before the game. So I come out really early before the game and they try freezing a part of my toe, but it still can't work. So in the end, I played with the, t- the foot frozen. That's have it frozen. Oh, how does yeah. that work? But there was a spray, is it? Or? No, no, injection. Oh, <laughs> my yeah. God. Injection is... like this, going right underneath the sole of the foot to oh. freeze the foot. I got 90 minutes, and then if you actually watch the game, you see me running down the tunnel where the dock comes down because it goes into extra time to freeze it again. Oh, <laughs> my God. That is no. horrific. No, it was, it was... And does it affect your play that you've got? Well, to be honest with you, it, it, my foot was numb. Right, yeah. and it just takes a bit of while to get used to it because obviously you can't feel it. And then after that, the, I think the adrenaline and everything about the game because the game yeah. is so big. So I always, I always wind Brian Dean up and say, "Fucking hell, we beat you!" And I played against you with one leg, and you didn't get it. <laughs> How did it feel when it thawed out? It must have no, been it was in a agony. nightmare. It was a nightmare because I had to have it restitched, oh, and then, oh. and then, yeah, it was a nightmare, and it went on for for weeks because I had to keep playing like that until I could get to the end of the season and sort it out. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, 
Start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.